Welcome to the podcast of Vertical Life Church. We hope and pray these messages encourage and challenge you to find your glorious purpose in Christ Jesus. For more information, visit us on the web at www.vlchurch.tv. Amen. Thank you. Or well, we're off to a good start, eh? Man, I'm thankful for you being here, and thank you for your prayers. I feel much better. I only had to wait five hours at the urgent care to get an antibiotic for my sinus infection, but after about five hours, you know, what's another, you know, five, you know, right? So, uh, but I appreciate that. Keep in prayer. We have many people out sick. Uh, we want to remember Brian Roy, uh, who uh, came, has come down with COVID, and I know Michelle's parents um, are struggling with that, and uh and I think Annie, she's, she's out sick as well. And so we want to keep uh, those in prayer and those that are recovering. And we just praise God for that because he is the miracle maker, isn't he? He is the healer. And so we just continue to press in and trust for that. Um, we are in week three of our series, Make Your Move. If you're new here today, we just want to say welcome. We believe everyone matters to God. And I hope that the short time that you've been with us this morning, you can sense that. You feel that. We believe that God is madly in love with his people. And he's pursuing us in love. And so uh, we, are, we are a church endeavoring to be a people driven by his love. That when you come in here, that's what you experience, the love of Christ. And uh, so we are thankful that you're here today. Um, we are... Again, in week three of the series, Make Your Move, we began at the beginning of the year pressing into this theme that I believe that God is kind of speaking over our church this year, that it's going to be a year of movement. Now, I don't really understand fully what that entails, but what I do believe is that God is going to move. And sometimes he moves in really big ways. That's like, wow, you know, it's like, wow, that was definitely God. But sometimes he moves and you miss it if you're not paying attention. But either way that he moves, it's very significant. It's setting us up for something. It's leading us into his plans and purposes for our lives. And so we want to be aware of his movement. We want to dig into what he's doing and press into that. And so we began looking at Elijah's life because God used him in a very significant and powerful way. And before he could use Elijah, he had to make him go through a series of movements. And so we've been looking at the commands of Elijah and how he's uh, been commanded to go, to move, encouraging his faith and, uh, so that he can partner with God and what God wanted to do in the land of Israel. So to gain some comfort and encouragement, we're going to continue with Elijah's life. And I think it's going to be a challenge today, but also uh, I just feel like this message, it's not going to be the best message you've ever heard. Preached by the best preacher you've ever heard. I'm going to say that right now. But it is a message you need to hear. And it's a message you need to get a hold of. Because at some point in your life, if not now, you're going to face circumstances like this. And if you don't get a hold of the principles, the concepts we're looking at, it might mean a defeat of the enemy or partnering with God to have a victory. And so I want you to dial in. We're going we're gonna to read through the story and we're going to talk about what we're reading. But this is a, about a spiritual battle. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, there is a target on your back by the enemy. And he's doing nothing but trying to steal, kill, and destroy in your life. That's his whole goal. And a child of God, a believer in Jesus, full of faith, walking in the spirit, is a threat to every plan and scheme the enemy has. So the only thing that he can do to stop you is to get you to stop, to get you to quit, to get you to back down. And so our encouragement today is to keep moving with God. In, in week one, we talked about what to do when the brooks that are feeding our comfort dry up, Elijah was by the brook. He was right where God told him to go. He was doing what God told him to do. And many of us, we were trying to do that the best we can in our lives. And we just believe that God's going to take care of all of our needs. And he does because he's provider. He takes care of us. But sometimes what we're relying on for comfort goes away. And we wonder, God, where are you? Right? You're supposed to be taking care of our needs. This was Elijah's situation when he was by the brook. God told him to go there. God told him to drink from the brook, but then the brook was gone. 
And so what did we see? We saw that God allowed the brook to dry up so Elijah would be willing to move to the next destination. And so God moved him to the next place. But the next place he went was the city of Zarephath. And that name Zarephath meant refining. So he sent him to a place to be refined. When Elijah got to Zarephath, it wasn't easy peasy. It was problem after problem after problem. Every incident we read at Zarephath, he had to activate his faith. He had to be dialed into the voice of God so that he could be right where God needed him to be and do exactly what God wanted him to do in the moment so that his provision, not just for himself, but for the people around him, could come to pass. And so we often are sent through seasons filled with challenges so that we can learn to not only trust God, but also stay keyed into his voice to be aware of what God is saying and doing in the moment. And I think that gets many of us as we just kind of float through Christian life. We believe God's there. We believe God's doing something, but we're not really engaged with his presence on a daily basis. And so when we go through problems, we're like, God, what are you doing? When God's been trying to tell us the whole time, he's been trying to walk us through this process. So Elijah learned to stay connected to his voice and partner with God to do some wonders. And I love how we saw last week that Elijah launched his faith even in the middle of crises. And God used his faith to do these miracles. And it inspired the widow to also trust God. A woman who had no faith in Yahweh, her, her land, her people didn't worship God. They were, they were from a different culture. But because of what she saw Elijah do, what God did through Elijah, she began to believe and trust in the Lord. And God wants to do the same thing in your life. By the way, you handle circumstances and difficulties when you trust God and God's able to use your life as a testimony to his goodness, other people are affected. As a matter of fact, it goes farther than we can possibly understand. I did the illustration of the dominoes. Uh, to a thousand generations, God said, he lavishes his unfailing love for those who fear and trust him. There is an infinite ripple effect of goodness that's released in the world when the children of God simply just walk in faith and trust the Lord. This week, we begin like we did the last two weeks. There is yet another command in 1 Kings 18.1. It says, later on, in the third year of the drought, the Lord said to Elijah. Now, think about this. Three years ago is when he gave the command for the drought. So this season of difficulty has been for some time. It's, this is not like, oh, it was like last week. right? He, we don't know how long he was at the brook. We don't know how long he was at Zarephath, but it was probably at least a year or so either place. Because now we're at year three, and God's now just talking to him. So we don't often know how long our seasons of refining will be. But the key is staying faithful in the season. And being ready for the command. Go. Somebody say go. Isn't it funny? Every command starts with a movement. Go. Not stay. I don't think God's in to stay. He's in to go. Why? Because he's got stuff to do. You can't do a lot sitting on the couch, binge-watching binge Netflix, right? There's things you got to do. There's people you got to see. So God tells Elijah, go and present yourself to King Ahab. Tell him that I will soon send rain. So Elijah went to appear before Ahab. Let's pray. Father, God, we just thank you for this word. We thank you for what we're about to read. We thank you for Elijah's life. God, will you tell Elijah we appreciate him? We appreciate him being faithful and leaving us a testimony of faithfulness that can inspire us to do the same. And God, I thank you for the way you used Elijah. And I thank you, God, for the way you're going to use us. And I pray, God, that you would begin to birth within us a heart of crazy faith. That we would be so committed to the word that there would be no wavering. That our yes and amen would remain forever on your promises and your commands. Because, God, you are good. Your thoughts towards us are good. Your intentions are good. And you are trustworthy and you are faithful. So, God, open our ears. Give us ears to hear, a mind to understand, 
Give us eyes to see and a heart that is ready to believe in what you have to share with us today. In Jesus' name. Amen. So again, just to recap these three commands over these last three weeks. The first command to go was to go to the safe zone. This is where he was going to be fed and pampered and be safe. No one was going to know where he was. It was a great deal for Elijah. Go and be comforted. The second command was to go to the place of refining to be tested, to grow in the faith. Now the third command to go is go and speak to the king and tell him the rain is about to come. God's saying, I'm about to use you to fulfill the calling I put on your life. Remember when Elijah shows up, he shows up out of nowhere to simply tell the king, God's not sending any rain until I give the word. So now we're coming full circle. God's about to say, you're about to fulfill your purpose, Elijah. Everything that we've been doing, that I've been preparing you for, this is the moment. Beloved, testing always comes before calling. Testing always comes before calling. There, there is, there's not going to be a time where God's just going to say, I'm calling you to this and not put you through a time of refining to mold you or form you into the person you need to be so you can handle the success of the calling. In, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul is talking to his protege, Timothy, and, he, and, he, and he's telling him about church leadership because Timothy's being groomed to be a pastor in his time. In 1 Timothy 3, Verse 6, it says, a church leader must not be a new believer because he might become proud and the devil would cause him to fall. You see, many of us want the promotion or the platform before the preparation. We just get this idea and we think, okay, I'm just going to go do this right now. And we don't go through the time that's needed to be trained, to be ready to handle the success of that platform, of that promotion. And what Paul's telling Timothy here is if you're promoted before you've been prepared, you have a high potential of being pulverized. There's a lot of P's in that sentence. If you are promoted before you've been prepared, you have a high potential of being pulverized. Satan chews up and spits out the unprepared especially in the church. I mean, why is it, and I'm just going to pick on church people because that's where we are and we're all involved in this, right? I'm, I'm guilty of this too. Why is it in the church that when we get an idea, we think we should just get to run with that idea? Like, oh, I want to lead this. And then you come to the leadership. Hey, can I lead this ministry? At what place of business do you get to go and say, I want to be in charge and they just hand you the authority? Nowhere. But when you come to a church, people get all ruffled if you say, well, I don't think you're quite ready yet, or I don't, haven't known you long enough to appoint you to this position, and I can't trust whether or not you're, you're able to do this. And we, we get so hurt and so offended. Well, what they said about me, I just, I can't, but do they not know who I am? No, I don't. I've only met you three weeks ago. Right? I mean, we do this in the church. It's just all the time. And we get so offended. But yet, we'll go and we'll have to work 20 years before we get a supervisor's position at our job. Like, like I don't understand. We get so offended when a leader wants us to slow down. But here Paul says, especially about church leadership, a church leader can't be a newbie. He's got to be seasoned because pride comes before a fall. If you're not prepared, you will have a tendency to become arrogant and proud. And that is the devil's ammunition. And I know this from my own experience. I know this, how a position can make you proud. And how easy it is for Satan to make someone fall. We have to be humble enough to walk the path God is leading us through so that we aren't going to fall at the promotion. The testing phase, the refining phase, helps root out the things in our life that the enemy will use against us, like fear, selfishness, control, management. How many of us try to control every segment of our lives? 
We all do. And God takes us through refining to help us learn he's in control. That's why he's called the sovereign God. There's, we just manage things. We're not in control. Hebrews 12, 10 through 11, it says, For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good. Somebody say always good. God's instruction, God's discipline is always good for us that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be, somebody say there will be. It's a promise. There will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. It means it's an option. Instruction, discipline, when the Lord takes you through a season, it's hard. It's difficult. But if you don't run from it, but you stay in it, you humble yourself through it, God promises there will be some awesome fruit that comes out of that. There's going to be some amazing things that come out of that. But it's your choice whether you're going to stay or you're going to run. Many of us choose to run. The discipline or instruction of the Lord produces righteous fruit. See, the result is of preparation for the platform. If you lean in and humble yourself to learn the lessons he's putting in front of you, is the success. That's what enables you to be successful in whatever he's calling you to do. 1 Peter 1.7 says, These trials will show that your faith is genuine. Think about this for a minute. The trials in your life are what show whether or not your faith is genuine. How many of us believe we have faith? Every hand should go up if you're a child of God. You know what proves it? How you respond in trials. How you respond in trials proves it. Trials show that your faith is genuine. Being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Through your faith, or though your faith is far more precious than mere gold, when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Think about what Peter is telling you right there. Your faith is of much more value than precious stone. And if it stays strong through many trials, it doesn't say God is going to get much praise and glory. What's it say? It will bring who? You. Much praise and glory and honor when Jesus is revealed to the world. What's he telling us? Who's going to praise us? Who's going to give us glory? It's going to be God himself. God He's going to praise and glory in us. He's going to reward us for the things that we've done when we see Jesus face to face. Can you imagine? You see God before you. You know, it's like that song, I can only imagine. Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in awe of you be still? Will I stand in your presence or to my knees? Will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah or be able to speak at all? Like, like think about the day you see God face to face and God's looking at you as his son or his daughter in awe of the faith you've displayed in your life and he begins to rejoice over you. That's how precious your faith is to God. And that's why he's so interested in developing it. Not only does enduring through refining have benefits for life here on earth, in the temporal, but like we said, what we do in faith, spiritual victories have an impact far beyond what we can imagine. What you're learning now and what you're enduring now is not just for now, but it's being added to the reward being prepared for you in heaven. So Elijah, he makes it through his season of refining. And he was ready to finish the job God sent him out to do. And God gives him this command to make a move. Elijah, I want you to go. 1 Kings chapter 18, beginning in verse 2. It says, so Elijah went to appear before Ahab. Meanwhile, the famine had become very severe in Samaria. So Ahab summoned Obadiah, who was in charge of the palace. 
Obadiah was a devoted follower of the Lord. Once when Jezebel had tried to kill all the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had hidden a hundred of them in two caves. He put 50 prophets in each cave and supplied them with food and water. Ahab said to Obadiah, we must check every spring and valley in the land to see if we can find enough grass to save at least some of my horses and mules. So they divided the land between them. Ahab went one way by himself, and Obadiah went another way by himself. As Obadiah was walking along, he suddenly saw Elijah coming toward him. Obadiah recognized him at once and bowed low to the ground before him. Is it really you, my lord, Elijah, he asked. Yes, it is, Elijah replied. Now go and tell your master, Elijah is here. Oh, no, sir, Obadiah protested. What harm have I done to you that you're sending me to my death at the hands of Ahab? For I swear by the Lord your God that the king has searched every nation and kingdom on earth from end to end to find you. And each time he was told Elijah isn't here. And King Ahab forced the king of that nation to swear to the truth of his claim. Now you say, go and tell your master Elijah is here. But as soon as I leave you, the spirit of the Lord will carry you away to who knows where. When Ahab comes and cannot find you, he'll kill me. And I've been a true servant of the Lord all my life. Has no one told you, my Lord, about the time when Jezebel was trying to kill the Lord's prophets? I hid a hundred of them in two caves and supplied them with food and water. And now you say, go tell your master, Elijah is here. Sir, if I do that, Ahab will certainly kill me. Verse 15, but Elijah said, I swear by the Lord Almighty, in whose presence I stand, that I will present myself to Ahab this very day. So Elijah is traveling back into the land to fulfill his calling. He comes upon this guy named Obadiah, a secret follower of Yahweh. And I just believe even in the most dire circumstances, God always has his man in his pocket. God always has a way to look after the faithful. But he's filled with fear that if he goes and tells Ahab that something will happen to Elijah, Elijah won't be where he's supposed to be, and then Ahab will take it out on Obadiah that he'll be killed. And Elijah promises that he won't move until the king arrived. But I want to look at what Elijah says in verse 15. Again, if we just skim over stuff, we miss it. Look what he says in verse 15. It says, But Elijah said, I swear by the Lord Almighty, in whose presence I stand. I swear by the Lord Almighty, in whose presence I stand. Somebody say, I stand. Again, it's important to look at the word tense, the verbiage, because it tells us something. He doesn't say, in whose presence I have stood. He says, in whose presence I stand, saying, I presently am standing in the presence of the Lord. What I believe that Elijah understood and learned by coming out of the safe zone, making a move out of where he was comfortable and into the time of refining was that God was with him wherever he went. And he learned the truth of the promise in Deuteronomy 31.6 that God spoke to Joshua before sending them into the promised land. He says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not panic before them. For the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you and will neither fail you or abandon you. That, that God has spoken this over his people. When I am sending you someplace, I'm not going to leave you helpless. Matter of fact, I'm going before you and I'm going to make the way for you. He promised this in Deuteronomy. We see this in Hebrews 13, 5 as a carryover promise to the church of Jesus Christ, which means, beloved, what God has called you to, he's already gone before you. He's already made the way for you and he's walking alongside of you, leading you there. Whoever fears the Lord and puts their faith and trust in him will have God with them wherever you are. Where he leads. So Obadiah is afraid that King Ahab's going to kill him. But Elijah was not afraid to face the king. Is about to get real good. We're going to take some time here because you need to hear this. Why wasn't he afraid? Romans 8.31 says, What shall we say about such wonderful things? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
You ever, like, I don't know, I think it's fun to pick on little kids. Anybody else like that, you know? Like to, like, pick at them or, like, walk by and tickle them and make them scream, you know? It's kind of fun. You ever, like, are messing with somebody else's kid like that and they run from you, like you start playing chase and they're screaming and they're acting all afraid? What happens when they run behind mom or dad? Now it's, you know, not afraid anymore. Why? Because they're standing in the presence of their father or their mother. Who can be against us when God is for us? When you don't just think, this is the challenge. Not just thinking God is with me. Knowing God is with me. If I think God is with me, this may or may not go well. If I know God is with me, I win. If you think God's with you, it doesn't matter where you go. Maybe he knows, maybe he's not. If you know God is with you, it really matters where you go. If you think God's with you, it doesn't matter what you do with your friends on the weekend because maybe he's not around. If you know God's with you, it really matters what you do on the weekend because he's right there. Beloved, there is no foe you can't face, no challenge too great, because what's impossible with man is possible with God. When you know who you are in the Lord and you know what you carry inside of you, like let me park here for a second. We're going to throw the parking brake right here. If you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Spirit of God lives in you. 1 John 4.4 4 says, You belong to God. My dear children, and you've already won a victory. Somebody say, already won. If you belong to God, you have already already won a victory. You've already won. Why? Because the Spirit of God lives in you is greater than anything that lives in the world. The greatest battle that could be waged in your life is the one between life and death. When you chose to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that victory he won on the cross got applied to you. That's the greatest battle you can overcome. There's nothing greater than defeating death. So you have already won a great victory because of who it is that lives inside of you. Do you know who you carry inside of you? Do you know who's with you, walking with you, going ahead of you, who's leading you, who's speaking to you? It's God Almighty. You know what Almighty means? He has all the might. Like, think about that. God Almighty. That means he can do everything, yeah. But it also means he has all the might. It's all his strength. He's with you. He's in you. And because of that fact, you've already won. The battle's already yours. The victory is already yours. Though the war may not have been battled yet, it's already been decided. Why? Because God never fails. He never fails. So what we learn in the place of refining as we're going through challenges, we stay faithful and we watch God work as we see that as we see God move, he is with us and it gives us confidence to go for bigger and greater things. It helps us not be afraid, but to keep moving forward, to know I'm going to be okay. I'm going to do this because God is with me. I can make it. 
It doesn't matter what challenge it is. It doesn't matter what's before you. God is in me. I've already won a great victory, so I can do it. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It's not my strength. It's his strength. That's why I'm victorious. See, Elijah knew what he could do because God called him to do it, and it was God's strength that would make it happen. So in 1 Kings 18, 16, Obadiah goes and tells Ahab that Elijah had come, so Ahab goes out to meet Elijah. So now we have a confrontation between the man of God and the enemy king. Can I burst your bubble for a minute? Big burst. I just want to pop it. I just pop. It has to be burst. Whenever you step out to follow God, to follow your calling, to walk in faith, I think we have it in our mind. This is going to be awesome. This is going to be amazing. God's going to move. There's going to be miracles. We're going to see these super awesome things. Let me pop that. Is God going to move? Yes. But you will be opposed. You will be confronted. Be prepared to fight. Because the enemy is going to stand against you. There is nothing the enemy hates more than a believer in Jesus on fire to follow Jesus. To do what God's called them to do. He's going to stand in your way every time. He's going to oppose you. I can just give you testimony about every week we come here to set up how much opposition is in our setup process. You don't think he's trying to make us quit? How many times are we going to freeze to death in this room before the school figures out how to operate a thermostat? You don't think he's trying to get us to quit? He will do everything and anything to stand in your way, to rise up and intimidate you, to get you to back down. He'll twist the truth to make you feel like all the problems in your life are your fault. Look, look what happens in 1 Kings 18, 17. Ahab, when he saw him, he exclaimed, Is it really you, you troublemaker of Israel? The first words out of the enemy's mouth is, All this is your fault. You're the problem. It's you. If we could just get rid of you, all our problems will go away. If you just fix yourself, then we'd be fine. This is all your fault, Elijah. He blamed him. Twisted all kinds of accusations against him. Why does the enemy do that? To strike fear into you, to discourage you, to shame you. Why? He's trying to put the fire out in you. When the fire's gone, he doesn't have to worry. This is why Paul told the church in Ephesians 6.10, a final word, be strong in the Lord and mighty in his power. Put on all of God's armor so you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. Did you know he has strategies, not strategy? If one way doesn't work, he's coming another way and then another way and another way. It's like rapid fire darts coming toward your direction. Anywhere he can hit you, he's going to try to find a hit you. And if you're moving forward, guess what? You're in direct aim of those darts. They're coming for you. If we're not armoring up, we will fall victim to his plans and be wounded and shut down. And many of us have been wounded or are presently being wounded right now. You're in a battle. You're in a war. And you're being wounded. You're taking shots. You're being shut down. Rather than rising up in the strength and power of the Lord, you're caving to the enemy's schemes and plans because you're taking hit after hit after hit. But Paul says we don't have to take hits. Why is the enemy doing this? Why does he come after us like this? Because he's trying to call your bluff. He's trying to see if you're bluffing. 
See, talk is cheap in the kingdom of God. That's why Paul said the kingdom of God is not a lot of talk. It's living by God's power. You You don't talk your way through the kingdom of God. You live your way through the kingdom of God. And many of us, we have a lot of things we say, but we don't do a lot of things. And the enemy knows it. And so he's going to hammer you to call your bluff. Oh, you, you think you're a Christian? You think you're a child of God? You think you're good? You think you're faithful? You think... Okay, well, let's test that theory. And he's going to keep coming and keep coming and keep coming. He doesn't back down. The Bible says he's like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. That means he's going to keep coming until he sinks his teeth in you and takes you out. If you're in that place where you are standing off against the enemy, you're in the midst of a spiritual battle right now, beloved, it's time to armor up. It's time to strap on that helmet of salvation, to gird yourself with the belt of truth, to don the breastplate of righteousness, slip on the shoes of the gospel of peace, brandish the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and deflect those arrows with the shield of crazy faith. That means know who you are. You're a child of God. Devour the word of God because Jesus said if you remain in the truth, it will set you free. Live righteously so he doesn't have anything to use against you. Don't give the enemy any ground to leverage against you. Walk in the reality of the gospel, which means you have peace with God through trusting in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Speak the word of God because it's like a two-edged sword that can divide between even the soul and spirit. And you wield the crazy shield of faith because it deflects the enemy's arrows. Oh, that's a lie. I don't believe that. Get out of my, get out of my head. I, I reject that in the name of Jesus because I know who I am. I'm not believing your junk. I'm not believing your diagnosis. I'm not believing this condition. I'm not believing what you say about me. No, beloved, the enemy doesn't get to control you or define you. But he does get to get under your feet. The serpent may bruise the heel of the one to come, but Jesus has crushed the head of the serpent. And he's putting the serpent under the feet of the church, the bride of Christ. The enemy falls when we rise in the power of God. You see, Elijah didn't fall to the enemy's schemes. He set the record straight. 1 Kings 18, verse 18, he says, I have made no trouble for Israel. You and your family are the troublemakers. For you have refused to obey the commands of the Lord and have worshipped the images of Baal instead. You see, Elijah was not going to let the enemy get away from spewing his rubbish. Misrepresenting the truth. He stood with God. And he proclaimed the truth that it was the king's sin and those who followed him who were responsible. And right now in this moment, you can just see this tension growing. It's like they're eye to eye. It's like the old standoff. You can hear the, see the tumbleweeds blowing in the wind and hear the whistles in the background, you know, getting ready to draw. And Elijah knew this conflict would not end through conversation. Let me tell you, beloved, you can't be diplomatic with the enemy. It doesn't end with conversation. This encounter had to go from standoff to showdown. To decide who was right and who was wrong. Because at stake was more than simply Elijah's reputation. It was the faith of the nation and the fate of the nation. God had told them, if you don't turn from your sin, if you don't repent, if you don't put away all these false gods, I'm going to let nations come in and conquer you. And you won't be in this land anymore. So it was the faith of a nation and the fate of a nation. We can't expect to flirt with the enemy and come out smelling good on the other side. There's no in-between. The enemy's a take-no-prisoners kind of enemy. It's all or nothing. And the people of God, the people God has called us to lead, the people in our lives are caught in the middle of the spiritual struggles we wage. If you're a child of God, you are leading someone. Someone either at your workplace, in your home, wherever you are. There are people in your sphere of influence God has put in your life to lead to Jesus. And the spiritual wars we face include everybody we touch. You don't think that if I were to fail morally and have to leave the ministry, that wouldn't impact everybody in this room. Everyone. What's different in your life? 
If you are a fall to the enemy scheme, it's going to impact everybody in your life. It's going to hurt relationships. It's going to cause irreparable damage. He's a take no prisoners kind of God, enemy. It affects those around us. Elijah, for Elijah, it was all of Israel. Whoever God has put in your life that's watching your life is the reason why we fight. You can't keep trading accusations with the enemy. You have to make a move. And I believe it's because the breakthrough is experienced in the showdown. When you put faith to your feet or feet to your faith. You see, a standoff has no momentum. If you think about two people standing face to face, eye to eye, toe to toe, just trading words, there's no momentum there. Just back and forth, back and forth. But when you show down, there's movement. The breakthrough will come when you make a move in crazy faith. And what are we doing when we make that move? We're calling the enemy's bluff. We're calling the enemy's bluff. 1 Kings 18, 19 through 24, Elijah says, Now summon all Israel to join me at Mount Carmel, along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who are supported by Jezebel. So Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. Put yourself in what's about to happen. He asked the entire nation of Israel to come to this one place, Mount Carmel. And then he gathered 800 prophets, 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah to come against one man, Elijah. That's not really fair. But now it's Elijah against 850 and everybody in the nation is watching. So Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets of Mount Carmel. Then Elijah stood in front of them and said, How much longer will you waver, hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. And the people were completely silent. You see, spiritual battles really boil down to a battle of decision. Who are you going to serve? Who are you ultimately going to worship? And it's the man of God who the prophet declares, how long will you waver hobbling between two opinions? He's calling them out. It's like there's two options here. And I believe God's asking us the same question as Christians in the modern day, faced with all the cultural realities and all the struggles we face, how long are you going to waver between two decisions? Is it my altar or the altar of the world? Is it faith in my promises and my word and who I am? Or are you going to keep listening to everything the enemy is trying to sell you? God's ready to make a move. But I think he's waiting for us to be convinced that his way is the right way. That his way is the only way. Verse 22, Elijah said to them, I am the only prophet of the Lord who's left. Baal has 450 prophets. Now bring two bulls. The prophets of Baal may choose whichever one they wish. Cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood of the altar, but without setting it on fire. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood on the altar, but not set fire to it. Then call in the name of the Lord your God, or in the name of your God, and I will call in the name of the Lord. The God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God, and all the people agreed. So Elijah sets up the show to notice it's the man of God that sets the parameters. We don't let the enemy determine the parameters. God sets the parameters. God's man sets the parameters. It's a contest. He makes a move against the enemy. This is unoffensive. Taking the fight to the enemy, leveraging the enemy's own pride against him. So when the enemy stands in the way of your calling, when the enemy tries to block the way of you doing what God's leading you to do, it's not time to back down and give in. It's time to rise up, stand strong, and trust in the faithfulness of God. The enemy wins when we quit. The enemy wins when we back down. That's where he wants us, powerless, defeated. But if we stand up and put our faith in God, start moving forward, we make a move, the victory is soon to be realized. 1 Kings 18, 25, it goes on. It says, Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, 
You go first. There are many of you. Choose one of the bulls, prepare it, call in the name of your God, but do not set fire to the wood. So they prepared one of the bulls, placed it on the altar, and they came and called on the name of Baal from morning until noontime, shouting, O Baal, answer us. But there was no reply of any kind. They danced, hobbling around the altar that they had made. About noontime, Elijah began... This is, this is so funny. I just love this part. Elijah began mocking them. You'll have to shout louder, he scoffed. For surely he is a god. Perhaps he's daydreaming or he's relieving himself. Or maybe he's away on a trip, asleep, and needs to be awakened. Can you imagine, like, God doing that for a minute? He's on the throne. Everything's going great. Prayers are coming before him, and an angel comes up and be like, God, I have really important business. He's like, hold on, i got to take a number two. Hold on, you know. It's ridiculous. I love how Elijah is so committed to the truth and the reality of who God is, that he is the one true God. There is no one like him, no one beside him. All the other gods are false gods masquerading as true gods. The only power the enemy has are the lies they get us to believe. And he's heckling these followers of Baal. And I love it. I just love that he's rising up like this. Like, your God, why isn't he answering? He must be relieving himself. You see, when you know who your God is, you know who's with you, it gives you a holy confidence. I would almost say like a spiritual arrogance, not a sinful arrogance, but like a, oh, bless you, my son, you know. It's like, I'll pray for you. Oh, bless your heart, you know. It just gives you this holy confidence. He was so confident in God, he believed God so strongly, everything the enemy was doing was ridiculous. He couldn't take it seriously. So what did they do? Verse 28, they shouted louder, following their normal custom. They began to cut themselves with knives and swords until the blood gushed out. They raved all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice, but still there was no sound, no reply, no response. Notice, when the enemy doesn't gain traction, he gets bigger and he gets louder. He gets more intense. The fight you're going to face is going to get bigger, louder, and more intense. Why? To shake your confidence. There was more of them than there was of Elijah. Think about 800 prophets shouting, crying out, cutting themselves, doing all the normal routines against one man. But beloved, it's all a show. There's no bite in his bark. There's no power to call down fire in the enemy camp. Verse 30, Then Elijah called to the people, Come over here. And they all crowded around him as they repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. He took 12 stones, one to represent each of the 12 tribes of Israel. He used the stones to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. Then he dug a trench around the altar large enough to hold about three gallons. And he piled wood on the altar, cut the bull into pieces, and laid the pieces on the wood. And so he's preparing his sacrifice to call out to God. And there is a key here when we're facing spiritual battles, strongholds and struggles. There's a key here we can't miss, especially when we've been asking God to make a move in our lives. The first thing, let me remind you, Elijah has been moving toward God this entire time. He moved toward God into the comfort zone, moved toward God into the place of refining. Now he's moving toward God to fulfill his calling and finds himself in this conflict. We can't ask God to make a move if we're not moving toward God. Why would God move just to keep us where we are if we're not heading in the same direction? If you want God to make a move in your life, you need to move towards God. Breakthrough begins with obedience. And obedience, beloved, is really an issue of worship. That's why Elijah said, how long are you going to waver? Look at what Elijah does in verse 30. He does something here we might miss if we're not careful. Verse 30, it says, Then Elijah, Elijah called to the people, Come over here. They all crowded around him as he did what? As he repaired the altar of who? The Lord that had been torn down. In the nation of Israel, they weren't allowed to sacrifice anywhere but the temple. But when 
the wicked kings took over and they perverted the temple, the people had no choice but to set up altars elsewhere that wanted to remain faithful to the Lord. And what had happened, not only were the priests killed, but over time, the people who cared enough to maintain the altar no longer cared. And the place of worship for the Lord became in disrepair. There was a place of worship unto the Lord in Israel that had to be restored and a sacrifice laid on it before the fire of God would fall. May it be in the areas you're struggling and you need a breakthrough where you're desperate for God to move, the struggle may be due to an altar in your life that was once dedicated to the Lord that's now fallen in disrepair. You need a financial breakthrough, but God's not king over your finances. You need a move in your marriage, but God's not Lord over your family. You want a breakthrough in your job and your career, but you've not as much as you even asked God what he thought about where you should work or where you should go because he's not king over your career. May it be that there's an altar that's in disrepair, or maybe there was never one there to begin with, and one needs to be built. See, breakthrough is a matter of obedience, and obedience is a matter of worship. Maybe we want breakthrough at our church. We want fire to fall in our services. We want God to move in a major way. But God's not yet Lord over the personal lives of the people that come to the church. Because if fire was falling in your closet and in my closet and in your closet, then it would be a blaze here. And the Bible says when the Son of Man is lifted up, he draws all people to himself. It'd be so attractive that people would be dying to get here. So no matter the area we struggle in, no matter what we're asking for, maybe we've operated out of fear and control. We've tried to manage everything. We've tried to stay comfortable, remain in the safe zone. And God wants us to surrender our sense of security, to follow him through refining fire, through some battles that will be difficult for us, but also uh, God has already prepared the victory so that we sacrifice that control and, and the fear and the worry so that our faith can reside totally and completely in God. And in that moment, as we rebuild that altar of worship in that area of our life and we lay that sacrifice on the altar, the fire can fall. I think the reason why... God waits to move many times in our circumstances is that these altars need to be rebuilt. What altars in your life, beloved, need to be rebuilt? I just don't, I just don't feel close to God anymore. What needs to be rebuilt? I just, I've lost interest. What needs to be rebuilt? See, Peter calls us a royal priesthood. The children of God, the believers of Christ, are royal priests. In the Old Testament, it was the priest's job to maintain the altar and put on the sacrifice. And when they put on the sacrifice, then God sent the fire. Fire always falls on the proper sacrifice. And I believe if we want revival in our church, in our communities, in our families, in our personal lives, we want fire to fall. It's time to rebuild those ancient altars that have gone into disrepair. Verse 33 says, He piled on the altar, cut the bowl into pieces, laid the pieces on the wood. He said, Fill four jars with water, pour the water over the offering in the wood. After they had done this, he said, Do the same thing again. And when they were finished, he said, Now do it a third time. A couple weeks ago, I mentioned this. I said it was seven times. It wasn't. It was three times. So forgive me for misspeaking. But three times, he puts the sacrifice on the altar after he rebuilds the altar, and he has them build a moat around it, and he douses it with water three times. What is he doing? He's saying, I want you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt, there is no humanly, physical, 
possible way that if this thing lights on fire, that it was done by man. I want this circumstance to be so impossible that it leaves no doubt. Verse 36, at the usual time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. O Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. And immediately, somebody say immediately. Immediately, when the altar was rebuilt... The sacrifice was on the altar, and the prayer was prayed by the man of God. Immediately the fire fell, flashed down from heaven, and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, the dust, even licked up all the water in the trench. Think about this. We understand fire burning up the animal, fire burning up the wood, the dust around may have been leftovers from other previous sacrifices or just dirt. But it takes around 1,100 to 12, 2,400 degrees Fahrenheit heat to melt rock into magma. And the fire magmatized the rock. So not only did God answer Elijah... Not only was Elijah's sacrifice an impossible situation, God's outpour of fire was so significant that it was not rep uh, replicable by any other means. There was no way they would be able to heat sticks enough together to get a fire hot enough to melt the stones. That's why they built altars out of stone. So when man rebuilds the proper altar and puts on the proper sacrifice, God will send out the fire and it will, not, it will be undeniable that it's God that's moving. We have a tendency in the church to kind of stretch things to be a move of God. I've got this ache in my shoulder. Well, pastor prayed for me. I'm healed in Jesus' name, but I'm at the doctor next week because I need meds. We stretch things because we try to fool ourselves into thinking God's moving sometimes when he's not. But when he does, it's undeniable. And those are the moments that we need to chase for, not, not the stuff we can stretch so that we may remain in control, but so that our faith grows in this undeniable God. And no wonder when God moved, in verse 39, when the people saw it, they fell down on the ground and cried out, the Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord is God. When God moves, when he does a work, when people are being touched by the Lord, touched by the Spirit, it's undeniable. And it humbles every heart. Even the proudest and most arrogant cannot stand in the presence of the Lord. Again, those who opposed Elijah equaled 850. One man of God was outnumbered, physically outmatched, but one man packing the power and presence of God can do wonders. Made the prophets of Baal run for their lives. Beloved, don't underestimate what God can do through you. Don't underestimate what God can do through you, even in the heat of battle, because your faith and your commitment to stand firm in difficult circumstances will move mountains. And it will inspire others around you to follow your example. Verse 40 says, Elijah commanded, seize all the prophets of Baal. Don't let a single one escape. So the people seized them all. Elijah took them down to the Kishon Valley and killed them. See, in Elijah's day, Baal tried to kill all the prophets of God. Elijah was the only one left. And in one fell swoop, all 850 of the enemy's prophets were killed. God overthrew in a moment what the enemy couldn't do in three years. And I just think that this is a nod to Jesus Christ. What God did through one man, fully committed, fully surrendered to the Father, in one fell swoop, by giving up his life, 
dying for our sins on the cross, he overthrew the enemy kingdom in a single day. And that's the good news. That's the good news. And that brings us joy to know if Jesus already won the victory, then the victory is ours. That's why the joy of the Lord is our strength. Oh God, this looks tough, but you already won this. You've already worked it out. And so I can rise in joy and in strength because I know that if you're for me, nothing can be against me. See, God called Elijah to be a prophet, sent him first to the comfort zone, led him to the time of preparation before he could fulfill his purpose. He had to face a standoff and a showdown. And God gave him one of the greatest victories over the enemy. Beloved, God's been preparing you all along. Right up into this moment, this very second, for what you're going through right now. He's been preparing you. The question is, are you going to take your stand? Are you going to make a move? Are you going to follow him into victory? Who today are you going to serve? Before fire falls, the sacrifice must be placed on the altar. You know, it reminds me of David when he was getting ready to prepare the temple grounds for building. He goes to the man that owns the land and he asks him if he could buy the land. And the, the man says, I'm, this is for the king. I'm not going to sell you the land. You can have the land for free. And David, being a man of God, a man of worship, he tells this landowner, I'm going to pay you for it because I will not offer God something I did not pay a price for. What we get for free, we don't really consider. But when we have to make a sacrifice, it's an effort in a matter of the heart. And I think we have a lot of altars in our lives where we're, we're putting offerings on there that don't require much. Honestly, getting up and coming to a Sunday service doesn't require much. But surrendering your life to follow Jesus wherever he leads costs everything. There are some sacrifices that require more than what we're willing to give. And I think just simple things like fasting and praying where we're giving up ourselves sacrificing something to worship the Lord, it helps position us for fire to fall. And I think that's what God wants to do. He wants to pour his fire out on our church. He wants to pour his fire out in your life. And I would just challenge us to examine the sacrifices we're giving the Lord. What altars need to be rebuilt? What sacrifices are we putting on the altar? Is it costing you something? Because I guarantee you the trade-off is well worth it. The trade-off is well worth it. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, but beloved, he rewards those who diligently seek him. So where do you need fire to fall in your life today? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this moment. I thank you for the sacrifice of Christ, the ultimate sacrifice. God, your fire is continually falling on the sacrifice of Christ, being poured out by the Holy Spirit as fire in our souls. And I just praise you, God, for everyone here who turned to Jesus one day in their life and said, today and from now on, you are my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins and save me because I'm giving you my life. God, your fire has been falling on them ever since. God, the enemy has a keen way of distracting us from your word, from your will, from your purposes. God, I know there are some people here today that have heavy hearts who are going through some stuff, going through some battles. And I know in the midst of the fight, sometimes it's hard to hear and it's hard to see. But God, I pray that you would speak, 
that you would reveal the altars in their lives that have been torn down, that need to be repaired. And you'd show them how. You'd show them how to put a worthy sacrifice on that altar so that your fire can fall in their health, in their relationships, in their home, at their job, and maybe even in their spiritual life. They felt disconnected from you. And so God, I pray that you would speak even now as we go into a time of prayer and response. I wanna invite the prayer team to come forward for just a few moments. Lord, if there's someone here today that has not accepted you, Jesus, as their personal Savior, I pray, God, that they would do that today. They'd come forward when we stand for just a few moments. They would come forward and meet one of our team members, and they would begin building the altar of worship in their life dedicated to Jesus. And I just thank you, Lord, for what you're about to do, about to minister through us. at Vertical Life Church. We want to say thank you for listening. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please consider making a tax-deductible donation to www.blchurch.tv forward slash give. Thank you.